Everyone, welcome to another awesome day with a struggle. I'm Sean Lee. And I'm James Park. We're here to discuss the reality of daily struggles and how it's a constant no matter where we are on our journey. Join us for honest conversations as we navigate life, business, and career challenges. Learn how to accept the struggles and how it's all about the mindset. We talk about our last two weeks. We're traveling. Yeah. Sean was in Colombia. I was in Mexico. We talk about Sean's clever and how it's going through a pretty difficult time. And I give a recap on my writing journey so far. And then we close with some travel tips. (laughs) (laughs) To avoid us starting like a new podcast called Travel Struggles. (laughs) Enjoy the episode. Everyone, welcome back. We took like a two-week break, right? Yeah. And... A lot has happened. A lot has happened. (laughs) Sean was in Colombia. I was in Mexico. One of Sean's buddies is getting married soon. And that's why they were in Colombia. And then my brother got married this past weekend. So that's why I was in Cancun. And not only that, I guess there's a lot that's happening also on Clever front. Yeah. Dude, where should we start? Well, I'll just say like Colombia was an amazing country. It's my first time there. I've been to South America before to like Brazil, Argentina, Peru, Chile, but I've never been to Colombia or Venezuela for that matter. And it was a beautiful country. First off, like living in LA, it's pretty convenient, funny enough to fly to because South America, when I went to Brazil, felt like really out of the way because you kind of have to go to New York or Atlanta or Miami and fly from there to Brazil Mm -hmm. because the way the geography is lined up, it's actually really fucking far. It's much closer to New York than it is from here. Whereas Colombia was actually surprisingly close. It was six hours to Panama from LAX. And it was like a one hour layover and then an hour to Medellin or to Cartagena. And it was like super convenient. I was like, dude, I would go here like every year (laughs) because it's so close. And everything was very affordable, insanely affordable. We had like five-star hotels for like a hundred bucks a night. That's awesome. The food is amazing. The people were really friendly. It's like you see Narcos, right? Which I didn't really watch. I mm-hmm. would see Mink watch it and I'll catch like five minutes of a clip or something. Yeah. And it would be like, all right, that looks scary. Yeah. And they go to this country like, wait, this is just like any other third world country or developing <laughs> nation. That's what they're called these days. Any other developing nation, you just got to be smart. Like I don't walk east of Los Angeles Street in downtown LA. Right, right. <laughs> Why would you? It's not smart. You would kind of do the same anywhere else in the world. And it, it's one of those things where like a lot of people have this fear, like Mink had this huge fear that she's like, dude, it's so dangerous down there. And I'm like, dude, it's dangerous in Chicago. It's dangerous in St. Louis. Yeah. Like Chicago, Baltimore, St. Louis are like the three, I think, in the top 10 most dangerous cities in the world. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. You look up like the most dangerous cities in the world, like in the top 10, I think three of them are U.S. cities. I think the, the murder rate or the crime rate in, in Chicago is the same as Sao Paulo in Brazil. It's just that, again, we have a very skewed perspective of what it is like in other places in the world. And again, you just don't go in bad neighborhoods. That's just the thing. Like there's certain parts of Chicago or LA I just don't go into. Yeah. And it's very unfortunate that it's very dangerous there, obviously. It's very unfortunate for the people that have to live there. But as a tourist, you just need to be smart about it. Yeah, And so it was my, my first international trip since the pandemic started. And it was surreal in the sense that like flying 
for six hours felt like forever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I was like, how do we fly to Asia before? Like those 12, 13 hour flights, you know, like six hours. I was like, dude, when am I going to get off this plane? (laughs) That was funny. And then getting there, I was like, wait, I didn't bring any cash. (laughs) Where's the ATM, right? Like what's the exchange rate? Trying to figure that stuff out. Like how much money do I actually need to withdraw? Right. How much is anything there? What's a meal? You have no idea. Exactly. And yeah, it was just like another experience acclimating and and adjusting and still like being smart and vigilant, like watching your own stuff. Don't get pickpocketed and whatnot. So yeah, that that was definitely a trip. And the weather there was beautiful. Cartagena was like 90 degrees every day. It was kind of humid, but Mm. I personally enjoyed it. I don't know why. Once I got there, I was like, why did I pack two pairs of sweatpants? (laughs) (laughs) But then once I got to Medellin, it was actually a little bit cooler. Medellin's like a mountain city where Pablo Escobar is from. We actually rode this like trolley thing over his neighborhood where he grew up, where he's born. Oh, cool. And yeah, Medellin was like beautiful. It was like a huge contrast with Cartagena. It was just like, you're like in a rainforest sort of thing. You're like in a forest. That sounds beautiful. Yeah, greenery everywhere on every single street. Granted, we were staying in like the Beverly Hills of Medellin. It's called Poblado. Mm-hmm. I learned this while I was there. Like basically all the big artists that are from Colombia, Bad Bunny, J Balvin, Carol G, they're all Colombian. Mm-hmm. They basically all moved to Medellin. And it's just really nice there. They actually have a rap song about it, about Poblado. Yeah. <laughs> it was just really nice. It was like a nice, I think, break from the pandemic. And for seven days, it almost felt like the pandemic was over. That's awesome. Yeah, it was kind of weird. I mean, all the wait staff wore masks and whatnot, but for the most part, like nobody wore masks. And shockingly, 13 guys landed in Colombia, nobody got COVID. <laughs> Dude, it's a win in itself. Yeah. We were just like, somebody's going to get COVID. Yeah. <laughs> somebody's going to get COVID. Nobody got COVID, which is kind of nice. So yeah, that, that was Colombia. And then coming back, it's definitely hard. I knew it was going to be hard to readjust to life. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I will say, like when I was there, dude, I really missed Miles. Like I really missed my son. It was crazy, like how much I missed him. I was like, I just wanted to, to hang out with him and play with them. This is a very good sign. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a great sign. So like after four days in Colombia, I was like, dude, I'm ready to come home. <laughs> yeah. Which was, it was interesting because half the crew had only stayed for four days and left on Sunday. And then the other half, we'd stayed and flew to Medellin and stayed there for another four days. And I was like, dude, I'm ready to come home. <laughs> is this the longest you've been away from miles? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's probably been the longest trip since pandemic, so. Yeah, because he was born January of 2020, right before the pandemic started. So yeah, I haven't gone anywhere really. Yeah. It was an interesting revelation, like how much I actually missed him. And then coming back, clever, you know, young startup, there are a lot of struggles that we're dealing with and mm-hmm. changes and a lot of time reevaluating the business and our focus and direction. A lot of hard conversations were had and we realized like we really needed to reevaluate where we were spending our money, basically. Yeah. Because we had a pretty high monthly burn rate, but we weren't producing an equal amount of results for spending that amount of money, basically. Mm-hmm. And so we had to take a hard look at ourselves and, and restructure the company, basically. It's always tough. That was not a fun time. But all in all, I'm really proud that as a young company, we were able to not only be decisive, but be aligned. Mm-hmm. on making this difficult decision early on 
versus dragging it out. Right, right. Till later, like deferring it and saying, well, we'll, we'll just deal with this shit later. Yeah. And it's like, no, let's like have this difficult conversation now as early as possible so that we can give ourselves and the team the best chance for success and survival. Mm-hmm. Survival than success. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what's been going on. And today we're recording this on Wednesday, the 30th of March. And we had just basically finished up that process and we're on a new path forward. And it's exciting that we have a new direction, a new focus. We call it Clever 2.0. <laughs> nice, nice. I mean, that's always good because then you take all the lessons that you've learned from Clever 1.0 and figure out maybe even like a faster way to get what you guys need next. Yeah. And maybe it's even about being specific. You're more specific now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what was bugging us a lot was that we had grown to a point where we were becoming siloed mm-hmm. and there was no alignment on like a central goal. Like the dev team was building an amazing product, but kind of in their own silo. Mm-hmm. The marketing sales team that I was on was like trying to figure out sales and marketing to a group of people, again, in our own silo. And there was just this like missing alignments as to like, are these two wheels of the car driving in the same direction? Yeah. And now that we've done this, it definitely feels like it's the right move. We definitely made the right decision. Good. That's awesome. I think the thing I grappled with in the beginning when we were like deciding to restructure was the goal obviously is to extend your runway. Mm -hmm. And the plan was to extend our runway from six months where we were to 12 months. In my head, I was like, well, continuing down the path we were going down. I was like, what's the point? We can't figure this shit out in like the next four months. What's the point of buying another six months, right? Mm -hmm. But then like after restructuring, you're like, okay, we were actually focusing on the wrong things before. Now that we have a better focus, this is actually a worthwhile path to try to buy as much time as possible to see this thing to fruition. Yeah. It's a product market fit, (laughs) basically. I think that's always very difficult. Like you have an idea and then you have to be able to iterate so quickly, so often to be able to find the right match. Yeah. It's something I learned. I told you a few weeks ago, I started that ship 30 for 30 program, the daily writing challenge. Yeah. How's that going? It's good. Today was day 19. So I posted something every single day now. Where are you posting? I'm posting on Twitter, Medium, LinkedIn, and a software called TypeShare, but mainly on Twitter. And I did my first Twitter thread today. There was like a live session yesterday that talked about how to create Twitter threads. And the biggest takeaway that I have from this so far is kind of very similar to what you're going through now and your company is is being very specific, like finding product market fit. And so everything that I'm writing about, I'm trying to find a niche that really caters to a very specific set of people. And before, I would kind of write about anything and everything, whatever just kind of came to mind. Yeah. And so the program teaches you very early on, you have to be really uncomfortably specific. And that's when you find product market fit. And so the way that you're talking about Clever FM, it just reminded me about even my own writing and just how uncomfortably specific you need to be first to find out if you're on the right path or not. Yeah. And all the different ways that you write or all the different things that you write about, you're just looking for a fit between what you like to do, what you like to write about, and what 
the audience actually wants to hear and what they get out of it. Right. So it seems very similar to what you guys are building. It's like, what are you building that's very comfortable for you that you like, but also resonates very well with a certain group of people? Yeah. And I think we talked about this many times before. The reason for it is not for any vanity reasons of like, we want this audience. It's really for a feedback loop. Mm-hmm. It's like if we're writing or creating a product or building a business without the audience, then you don't have a feedback loop. Right. Yeah. All the vanity is actually a side effect of creating a product that is needed. Exactly. Yeah. So that's awesome, man. I think it's really great that you have this really difficult decision to restructure a company. I think I've been through a couple of restructures now and they're never fun. They're never easy. And even as like a a manager or someone as an analyst who's part of the restructure, it's like, I can't imagine the work that goes into having to make decision. So I think you're doing the right thing. I think one thing that I really have to commend Servi on was he had gone through this before and he had a really good approach to it from the startup world, from the tech world, which is, I'm sure you guys probably did something similar, which is when these decisions happen and they're finalized, to first communicate it with your internal team, Mm -hmm. the team that's staying behind so that they're not shocked. Mm -hmm. And then the following day, then communicate it with the people that are unfortunately leaving. Yeah. And then do like an all hands meeting afterwards with the remaining team. So the the day before was all individual conversations. Mm -hmm. And then have an all hands to really communicate. What are we doing? Why are we doing this? What does it look like going forward? Explaining that Yes, like there is some trust that has been broken Mm -hmm. that is eroded from this this experience. And there's a lot of trust building that we have to do again to build that trust back up with the team. Because it is a huge shock to the company in many ways. Yeah, that's all I got on the clever side. Good. (laughs) It's huge. I know it was like very short, but probably one of the biggest transitions that you'll go through as a company. Yeah, agreed. Maybe even not the last. No, hopefully the last, but (laughs) hopefully the last. But if it happens again, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. I think it's actually quite normal for you to go through things like that. And I feel like that's um, something I'm learning with depression, actually. You expect that once you solve an emotion or understand the emotion that you expect that you won't fall into these kind of long droughts of sadness or being angry or whatever, right? But yeah, you just kind of have to understand that it's like normal. It's natural, actually. Yeah. I think that's a big thing with company transitions. You think like, oh, could we have done something different? Could I have done this differently? Or like you've come out feeling like you fucked up somewhere. But it's, if you get kind of get stuck with that, like you'll never get out of that phase. So I've been writing a lot about depression. And that's kind of the theme that's been popping up for me the most. And I have to say that it's it's different for everyone, but it just feels that once you're out of it, it's okay if it happens again. I think that's a big part that I didn't understand. Hmm. It's like if you mess up once and then you expect to never mess up again, but you do and it happens. Everyone talks about how once you learn from the mistake, you have to like never make that mistake again. And it's almost, if you make a mistake twice, you're a fucking idiot. But that's not true. It just seems normal that people will screw up on mistakes and have to relearn a lesson from time to time. Yeah. Maybe like a different variant of it or something. So yeah, it's just what I've been thinking a lot about lately. 
like trying to think of myself as almost like a startup again, right? And just like kind of going through my day and routine of like, what am I building? How am I building myself? And just not being so down on myself for fucking up. And maybe it's even natural or like part of it. You have to go through these and we each have to learn it on our own kind of way. And this is just the path that I happen to go down. Yeah. This made me think a lot also because when I was in Cancun for my brother's wedding, when I got to talk to a lot of old friends, a lot of my brother's friends, like some of them actually read, have read my stuff and they're like, hey, I really like what you're writing. And so I got to talk to them a lot about these similar types of issues and just got a very different and deeper understanding that people just go through this kind of stuff and everyone has to deal with it individually. So it was really good. Cancun was freaking awesome. My brother getting married, it was an emotional high that feels great. It's like, I've never seen my parents more happier. Dude, my dad was super happy. Like he was so emotional. He was dancing. Yeah. My brother, my mom and I were like, we've never seen our dad dance before. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> it was so good. All our friends and family were there. It was like, it wasn't a huge wedding, maybe 40 to 50 people, but everyone there was it was just like a big family. It was awesome. The resort we stayed at was an all-inclusive resort. The food was delicious. Dude, drinks were just everywhere. Flowing. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Room service 24-7. I was barely in the room. I was always like out about somewhere. But the last night, a few of us tried to eat at three different restaurants. And we ate at three different restaurants for dinner. It was, yeah, just the entire weekend was freaking amazing. We all want to go back. Like Everyone's like talking about how for Eric and Hannah, they're like, yeah, we want to do a one-year kind of celebration back at the resort. Yeah. And it was like a big chat room. And then all the guys were like, so we'll see you there. <laughs> you should come. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> really good couple of weeks. I think just feel good. Feel good. That's awesome. I'm glad both of us have like a lot more clarity and direction. And I think maybe like part of it was we needed the break. Yeah, definitely. Just to have a different setting to show us like, hey, like there's more to the world out there than us living in our own heads here in this chair. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And I think that's part of the effect of the pandemic too, right? Is the isolation and you don't know what you don't see sort of thing. You forget what you don't see, mm -hmm. like how big the world is. And I think for me too, is like being able to see how other people were living, mm -hmm. especially in Colombia, like how people have normal lives there. <laughs> Not that people don't have normal lives here, but like what their lives are like there, right? And getting to know locals more. And it was just really cool. Yeah. I think that's one of the benefits of traveling is it really helps you open your eyes to see in a completely different perspective. Also, a small tip that I have for any travelers, if you are trying to figure out currency exchange rate, I advise to actually check out a McDonald's or a fast food joint and just see what the prices are there. Mm. And it gives you something to relate to. You're like, oh, a Big Mac costs X dollars in the States. I have no idea how much it costs now, but <laughs> you know the price there. You know a sandwich is going to be like, I don't know, three or four US dollars. And then you can equate it back to, oh, in Colombia, it's this much. I actually did not see a single McDonald's in Colombia, shockingly. Oh, okay. I don't know why. Then just a sandwich. <laughs> Maybe you weren't looking for it. Maybe because it was like Medellin, but that's great advice. That is actually pretty sound advice looking at McDonald's. Although I don't know how much a Big Mac costs here. I think it's like $8 now for a meal. Yeah, that sounds right. One thing I did do was like, 
I measured it by the cost of a, this is very not eco-friendly, but measured by the cost of a bottle of water. Mm. Granted, I try to be eco-friendly, so I refill my water bottles, actually. Nice. I'll just buy a bottle. I just keep refilling it. I just need a container of some sort, and I sometimes don't want to carry like a metal container with me. So yeah, like a bottle of water in Colombia was like 40 cents US. Wow. 40, 50 cents. Whereas here it would be like, you know, two fifty, three dollars $3 for a bottle of water. Yeah. So that's like relatively, that was pretty much how much things cost. It was about like a, a sixth to a fourth the cost of everything here, basically. Sounds good. Which makes sense. Yeah. Like a five-star hotel room was a hundred bucks, like normally it'd be like three, four hundred dollars here. Yeah. And that's for hotels and then for food and everything else, it was definitely less. Yeah. Oh, the other thing that I like feel very strongly about traveling hmm. that I tell people is like when people try to go to exchange counters, uh-huh. never go to exchange counters. Never. Don't ever exchange at the airport. It is such a ripoff. Well, for one, if you travel frequently, get like a First Republic or a Charles Schwab bank account, yep. checking account, because they have zero transaction fees for ATMs. Yeah. They'll reimburse you for all your ATM fees. And so the best way to get money, and I've tested this before many times in different countries, is to get it from the ATM directly. Mm-hmm. You're going to have the best exchange rate. And if you have a Schwab or First Republic or Wells Fargo, I think they don't charge you ATM fees. And they will reimburse you for that. And find an ATM that's not just in a random street. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Find an ATM that's at the airport or yeah, the best place at a bank. Just go to the bank ATMs. Yep, yep. Those are the most secure. You do not want to go to a, especially I heard about Mexico City, is like you don't want to go to a random ATM because someone might have hacked it right. and try to skim your card. Because the thing that people don't realize about exchange, like those exchange counters, is that even though there are no fees, it's baked into it. They give you like the worst fucking rate. Yeah. And basically how the math works out is if you like exchange a hundred bucks, you might lose like $10, but you lose $10 for every $100 that you exchange. So if you exchange $1,000, you end up losing like $100. Yeah. <laughs> like Even though they say like no fees, they baked it in where like you're basically paying $100 to exchange that. So if you just need 100 bucks at the airport, like fucking go for it. But if you need anything more than 100 bucks, I've done the math, it's better to just pull it out of the ATM. Yeah. Even if you have to eat the transaction fee. Exactly. You get a better rate directly from the ATM. Exactly. Because... It's a one-time fee. Even if you paid, let's say like $20, and I looked at this when I was in Paris, I remember. No, I was like, sorry, it was $10 for transaction fees. I remember in Paris. And I didn't have Schwab, let's pretend, right? I was using Chase at the time. If I pulled out $400, I'm only losing 10, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I'm only paying 10 versus if I exchange $400 at the exchange counter, I would have lost 40 bucks. Yeah. I would have forked up 40 bucks for that exchange. And so that's where they get you because you're like, oh, $100, I only lose $10. That's no, you'd lose $10 for every $100 Yep. versus ATMs, just whatever it is. And I think that way too, you won't carry around an absorbent amount of cash. Correct. Like you pull out what you need when you go to the ATM. Yep. That's what I did when I was traveling Southeast Asia. I didn't have that much cash with me. I think maybe like a hundred bucks at the most in the local currency at most, but I used the ATM every time. And I only had one problem there once. What's that? I used an ATM machine that lost, I think, service in the middle of the transaction and Schwab shut my, they just flagged the account. A hold? Yeah, a hold on the, on the account. And so it didn't work. It stopped working. I don't know what happened. I was using the ATM before. Yeah. And then just that one time, like something just stopped working and huh. a hold went onto my card. So in the th- three and a half months, four months, 
And then the two years I was in Vietnam, dude, just use my Schwab card. <laughs> always have a backup. Oh, the other thing I travel tips, when I travel tips, the other thing I always do is I split my cards, all my cards into like three places. So I always have like a backup credit card and debit card in my- At home, wherever you're staying. At home, my suitcase. Yep. I have another one in my backpack and then I have another one on me. And so in case like, there's always like a backup plan. Yeah, that is smart. To get some money to get out of the country. <laughs> Man, I'm so glad like this episode, we talk a little bit about our travels and on top of our struggles. It's interesting and it's weird to like have this kind of conversation, right? Like two and a half, <laughs> what, two years? Actually, exactly two years now into the pandemic, March of 2022. Oh, right. I didn't think about that. We shut down around March of, I mean, the pandemic started, I think, December, January in China, but we started shutting down around March of 2020. Yeah, that's right. Wow, it's been two years. Two years. I don't know if it feels like it should be longer or, yeah, it feels longer. It doesn't feel like two years. No, it doesn't. But at the same time, I mean, two years is a long time, James. <laughs> that's true. Think about it. I was 35 when this thing started. <laughs> yeah, I guess two years is a while ago. How old am I now? You're 39 now? I was 36. I'm about to turn 39. Man. Damn. Old. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's a wrap for this week. It's a little bit shorter episode because we've been on the road. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Until next week, this is Sean Lee. And this is James. See you guys next week. Mm-hmm.